Coming up on this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society, we're surprised to discover that we're three times the size we're supposed to be. It's dangerous to go alone, so the Nintendo Cartridge Society goes with you. Welcome to Nintendo Cartridge Society. My name is Patrick Ellers, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mark Mitchell. We've got a good show for you today. We're going to be talking about the news in the week, including some more changes to what's happening at E3. Uh, and then on Thursday, we are going to be talking about Disney games that we'd like to see Nintendo make. It's a long walk, but we'll get you there. Don't worry. <laughs> in the meantime, Mark, how are you doing? I'm doing so good. Yeah. So happy to be here with you, Patrick. Uh, yes, I'm happy. to. I, has it been longer since last month? Monday than usual. It felt that way. It did. Yes. It did and it does. I think we just like hanging out with each other. I yeah, I think you're <laughs> I think you're right. Uh hey, congratulations on the Transformer comic. Thank you. I loved it. Thank you. You can still get the Valentine's Day special. It is in comic book stores now. Yes, and if it is unavailable in your comic book store, uh, usually they can order it. For sure. Um, and uh, you can also get it on the IDW website or on Comixology. It is imminently gettable. It is called, and I realize this is an important part of the equation that I should have spelled out earlier, it is called the Transformers Valentine's Day Special. It doesn't have an issue number. In place of an issue number, there's a heart. <laughs> adorable adorable a little bit hard to explain to my mother you know what i mean <laughs> well i feel like if you walk into any comic book store which yes. i understand for your mother probably a long walk in and of itself she sent my uncle <laughs> then he called her and was like how do i find this thing and then she called me and this was at like 10 o'clock in the morning in florida which means it was seven o'clock here but i feel like if you just say the new transformers uh, there transformer 17 also came out on, on oh, wednesday so oh gotcha gotcha well here's another way that yes. you can get a copy of transformers because mm -hmm. i went to a comic book store and i wiped them out i bought all the copies available right and th because we've already and had then, and then you burned the rest of their inventory right <laughs> and then i ordered 10 more issues Whoa! of your comic that uh will be coming in about two weeks now, we've already had some people request signed copies. And by request, I mean they went through the process right, to get a signed copy. And that Which process is, is yes. leave us a five-star review on the platform of your choice where yes. you get your podcast. Mm -hmm. And then email and tell us. And we'll send you a signed copy. Yeah, in about two weeks. And yeah, well, we'll send it in about two weeks. It'll be a, it'll be a little bit of a process, but you'll get it and yeah. you'll love it. And here's uh, something. And you know, I think we have uh, like a handful of copies still left yes. to give out, so it's not too late. And here's another thing: is that I do think it's fair that if you had previously left us a five star review, yes, and you want a signed copy, I'm happy to send it to you. Wow. Yeah. Generous, Mark. Very generous. I want this comic. Your comic Thank in you. people's hands. I also want that. And to our listeners, even better. Yes, correct. Here's another thing is that we're at 99 reviews on the Woo! American Apple Podcast Store. So yes. we just need one more to get us over the 100 hump. But also don't be fooled because the second we cross that hundo hump, we're going to want 200, <laughs> right? 
We are eminently greedy. Yes. So please uh, leave us a review, screenshot it, email us at Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail.com, and we will send you a uh, signed copy of this thing until we run out. Yes. Um, and uh, here's a, one more thing you can do with that email address. You need to get on the list so that you can borrow my copy of Sonic Forces on the Nintendo Switch. Uh, Sonic Forces still out there in in the wind. I don't know where it is. I assume it's coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it does, it's going to go out to the next person on the list. Get your name added to the list. Email us at Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail.com. gmail.com with a mailing address so we have somewhere to send it. I send it there. It comes back. It doesn't cost you anything. It's the perfect borrowing program. Um. Uh. We're a little bit out of order here because norm- this is when we were talking about Transformers. I'm sorry to throw the brakes on and just be like confused about like what, <laughs> what the format of the show is. Mark, a little bit of a debug from last week. Um, in the news, I, I wrote up a piece in the news identifying Persona 5 Scramble as uh, with the subtitle The Phantom Thieves, uh, which is a group within the Persona 5 universe. The game is actually called The Phantom Strikers. So that's my bad. And I'm sorry that I made you say the wrong name. And I think you did pause right before saying the wrong name. I think that's giving me a lot of credit. Because I, yes. I have no memory of this. Also, it's a nice little tease because we're going to be talking a lot about Persona 5 a little bit later. We certainly are. Also got an email from uh, Corbin. Hey, Corbin, thank you for uh, writing into us. Uh, sort of with a response to one of the things we were saying about Bayonetta last week on our Valentine's Day episode. Um, the sort of uh, gist of it is we were determining who our perfect Nintendo Valentines would be. And when we pulled Bayonetta out of the bowl to discuss her, uh, we didn't really know what to do with her. Yeah. Bayonetta's a lot. Um, and so we were just like, well, we're going to put her sort of off in the corner and you know deal with it in, in, a, in a separate piece. Um, and so Corbin emailed to sort of explain what he perceives to be like the sort of argument for Bayonetta as like a, a, an active agent of her own uh, sexuality. Um, uh, but then he also uh, added this, and I just wanted to read a, a little bit from his email here. He says, um, now my personal interpretation, which kind of overlaps with the uh, accepted one, is that Bayonetta is drag. Drag is about performance of what society classifies as gender, often exaggerated in order to, to send it up and put a magnifying glass to it, show how ridiculous expectations of femininity or masculinity can be. I believe Bayonetta is a digital drag performance that sends up what it is to be feminine in, in a video game. I came to this conclusion one night when I played through the first level of Bayonetta 2 and then coincidentally remembered, uh, uh, coincidentally immediately watched an episode of RuPaul's Drag Race and the parallels were striking. Oh, that's really interesting. It's it, it it's it's a certainly an interesting take. Uh, I don't. I mean, I guess without knowing like the identities of the people who work on the character, yeah. I don't know how much I. Um, I mean, I also uh like drag always kind of rubs me a, a little bit the wrong way. Um, uh, performative gender, uh, and like in a, of a gender that you can't actually like claim as your own feels a little icky to me. I don't want to like rob anyone of it, and I know it's empowering for a lot of people. So like, I don't, you know, I don't. It just it just doesn't jive for me, mm-hmm. um, but uh, yeah, that's uh, that's a really like interesting perspective and not one that I had considered. Yeah, completely. Um, and then also one last thing, uh, shout out to James for uh, shouting us out on uh, n64josh.com. Nice little uh, write up. Yeah, got. it was really nice. Um, all right, Mark, let's get into what we've been playing this week.
All right. So I picked up Raymond Legends. Hey. For like the definitive ed- definitive edition for Nintendo Switch. I think that's what it's called. Um, is was there like some kind of sale? Or did you There just was, yeah. Yes. So like Capcom and Ubisoft are having like a pretty big sale right now. Cool. And so it was down to I think ten dollars and I had enough gold coins to cover it. Oh, and I, I had love heard it good things. With gold uh, coins. Friend, friend of the show, June, had been playing it and he recommended it the last time it was on sale. And so when I saw that it was, I went for it. Um, so I had played the demo for this way back when it was originally released on Switch. Yeah. And I remember not really loving it. But uh, now that I've like gotten a little bit more into it, it's a lot of fun. It's like a really... The difficulty ramps up really quickly. Great. Uh, the one thing that I don't dislike about it, but is not my favorite, is the character design is that like is a lot of the comedically grotesque stuff that mm-hmm. I feel like is very European. It does have a European, like an animated European sensibility for sure. Where it's just like, every, like there's this one, look, I don't know Raymond very well. This is the first Raymond game I've ever played. Yeah. And uh, so I don't know the world or the character very well. I think it's a teensy, but for some reason it's like a sidekick that shows up occasionally in levels and you can get him to do things like cut rope and like tickle people so you can attack them, like all that kind of stuff. Sure, this is originally the thing that was like being controlled by the gamepad player on the Wii U. Oh, okay. Because well, they would just touch the things on the screen. And, yeah, and make that them makes happen. a yeah. ton of sense. Well, okay, so that thing is like a bug or something, uh-huh. and it's really gross looking. And I, it's that's the point. The point is for it to be like grotesque and weird, but I don't get it. Look, we're Disney babies. We <laughs> just want everything to be cute. Yeah, that's all we want. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm totally with you on that. I've always found the uh, the art style of of Rayman and the the rabbits to be a little like, it just like it crosses into a um a, an aesthetic that I just don't really share. Yeah. Um, which isn't to say that like I'm down on all like ugly animated stuff like i like a ren and stimpy Mm, like mm -hmm. there's something about that that i i don't know if it even like goes beyond the like casually ugly to the like um upsettingly ugly um that i where i actually like it um but yeah the the rayman is just in a a part of the spectrum that i can't right i mean they're definitely not one-to-ones but i can't play this game without thinking of like the mucinex like booger monster thing yep yep I believe they're phlegm. <laughs> they live inside your lungs right. or, or something. Like the mucus monster. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, I am really enjoying it. And initially, I was like, this game is super easy. And then you get like four levels in. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this game is way too hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's a lot of fun. I am enjoying And it seems like there is a ton of content yes. in this like de- definitive edition. So, or deluxe edition. I can't remember what it's called. But for 10 bucks. Totally worth it. Look, we can't we can't memorize the full names of all video games like Dragon Quest XI S, Echoes of an Elusive Age <laughs> Definitive Edition for the Nintendo My Switch. My brain just doesn't have the space. Also, this game is called Raymond Legends, and the other one was Raymond Origins. It's like, stop naming video games these two things. <laughs> right. It's too hard to remember. These words don't mean anything, especially, <laughs> especially when Rayman Origins isn't like the first one ever. No, is it chronologically in like the? Oh, who cares? <laughs> who cares? How are you ever gonna know? <laughs> I don't even know where Rayman came from. Well, maybe if you'd played Origins, <laughs> yeah, great you would point. find out. It's a 
really insightful point. Also, I've been playing Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, just kind of making my way, trying to get three stars in each cup in the world in today. Each, like CC Makes everything you got. <laughs> um, also, I've been playing. That's kind of like segued me into playing the online multiplayer again. Mm-hmm. Multiplayer battle online. I love it. I oh, love you're it doing so the much. battles online? Yeah. Every now and then, Sarah and I will jump into the um, multiplayer. So the two of us on on our Switch, um, just racing against uh, yeah randos. the races. I'm always really bad at. Like oh, I always do not. really yeah I always do We're really good. poorly. But the uh, um, the battles I can I can like hang with the best. So and I really I like that it's different since I'm doing the cups right now. Yeah, I'm happy to do oh sure to like break it up a little yeah. bit. Um, I've also been playing a little bit of uh, some older games, uh, of, of course, because nothing has come out on the Switch in the last uh, however long. Um, I picked, and yet we continue to do a new release segment, uh, and we will never stop <laughs> doing a new release segment. We have very few like regular segments on the show, and we will always do all of them. Um, Super Mario Maker 2, uh, which is a game I had not gone back to since the DLC dropped a little bit ago. The one that included, like, the Zelda Mm -hmm. Mm power-up? And uh, specifically included the... I mean, yes, the Zelda power up, but also the the ninja races. Oh, right. Um, which uh, there are only four Nintendo-made levels for it out right now. Um, and I seem to remember, or like, being under the impression that there were going to be a lot of levels or like new ones coming out regularly. That's what I thought too. It seems like there are just four. Mm, interesting. Um, and like you know, uh, playing through them is uh, they're they're good fun levels. Um, but trying to sort of like you know maximize your uh, efficiency getting through them has uh, like a limited return on like you know uh, fun. Uh, and then they also have like these uh, these little like areas of time these little like slivers uh that like they want you to finish the level in and they're always like really fast because the sort of bell curve is towards finishing it as fast as possible and like it can be really tough to get into like you know i've even the like the second tier like good uh time uh just because it's like well how do i everyone else that has like really pounded this out has gotten a really good time on it and so i don't know uh it's I have found it to be, uh, like, frustrate, like, fun at first and then frustrating to try to, like, master because I just, like, hit against the ceiling where I'm just like, I can't do this any faster. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know someone is doing it faster somehow, but I'm not one of those people. Um, so I, I feel like it, uh, you know, kind of going back to what we had been saying about Mario Maker 2 from the beginning or even within the first couple months after its release, that, like, they're rolling out new stuff for it, but like the support isn't, it's not like full throated, full throated support. Yeah. The uh, potential of Super Mario Maker 2 feels frustrated for whatever reason. Yeah. And I don't know why that is. Um, I, you know, I also went in to just like try and play some levels. Um, and, you know, one of the things that happened to the original Mario Maker after about a year of being on the market is that it just sort of flooded with, um, you know, auto run levels. And, you know, levels that are just impossibly difficult or impossibly easy. Um, And uh, that's sort of happening to Super Mario Maker 2 right now as well. Um, There are ways around it by, like, you know, using the the search tools and then, like, kind of eyeing the levels as as you're going through them. But, man, it it would really be nice if there was just, like, a playlist of, like, 
good levels. And I'm sure, you know, individual websites have this and like people are curating it outside of the ecosystem of Super Mario Maker 2. But man, I wish there was a way to do that within the game. Well, that's kind of what I was hoping that like the official makers that like Nintendo has, right? They have one for the US, one for Europe, one for Japan. I think that's the three that they have. But like, that's kind of the role that I was hoping they were taking. Like, even if they're not going to create a bunch of levels, like, even if they acted as, like, curators for their region and I, uh, were yeah. just being, like, here are, like, ones that we're spotlighting or highlighting and, it and is, it's constantly, it's possible like, that, updating. It's possible that they are doing that just by, like, you know, liking the courses and then you could go to them and see what courses they've liked. But I would really like that to be, you know, a, a more easily accessible. Yeah. You know? Um that you're prompted when you start to like check in on like a new playlist of levels or or, or whatever there's and it's always going to be an issue but i i just wish that uh they worked out discoverability on that in in uh some way yeah for sure because it seems lacking at the moment um i also picked uh pocket rumble back up remember pocket rumble i do remember pocket rumble um pocket rumble is for uh those who don't remember is a neo geo pocket-esque uh, fighting game that uh, I was excited about for like a year and a half before this game's launch because it was shown in the original uh, indie Nintendo Direct um, for the Switch. And it was supposed to be one of like the earlier releases for it within yes. like the first eight weeks or something. It was supposed to be out in March, yeah. March 2017. And then it came out like a year and a half later. <laughs> um, and I played a, a couple fights and was like, oh, I don't really like this. Um, but uh, now that I've spent a little bit more time uh, with it, um, you know, one of the things that bummed me out about the game is that it had uh, an incredibly limited roster, eight characters only. Um, and they all, uh, they all felt like hard for me to wrap my head around and it's because they all play completely differently. Um, so like I, w- I went back into it with like the, uh, pocket rumble wiki open in front of me, which is clearly, um, run and edited by the people who made the game. Um, because it has every time the characters have been updated, it has like every note about their that's own. kind of awesome. Um, so like it's, it's rad and I'm glad that they're using, uh, like the, the wiki format for that because it's perfect. Yeah. Um, and you know, all the character, uh, special move inputs are are really simple but the all the characters have like sort of different subsystems about them uh to use their like s- special meter um and it's all super unique and uh have just having the wiki in front of me while playing it uh was actually something that I like I really got into it um and so now when I need to like put on a fighting game for a little bit and like just get some of that out uh my game of choice has been Pocket Rumble that's awesome um, let me tell you this. No one is playing this game online right yeah. now. Uh, I would love to have some people to play Pocket Rumble with. So if anyone's playing Pocket Rumble, shoot us an email, uh, Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail.com, gmail.com or tweet at us or at me uh, at Patrick underscore Ellers. And uh, let's let's get some uh, let's get some Pocket Rumbles going. All right. Uh, so that's what we've been playing this week. Let's get into the new releases and what we might be playing next week. Tomorrow, uh, Wednesday, February 19th, the SNES and NES Switch Online are getting new games. New games! That's right. So, for the SNES Online, we're getting Poppin' Twinbee and Smash Tennis. All right, fine. And then for the NES, yeah, for the NES, Shadow of the Ninja, 
and Eliminator Boat Duel. Can I tell you that I've never heard of Eliminator Boat Duel? No idea. No idea. No, I. N- what, what does that even mean? I, uh, is elimin- it a boat duel that leads to elimination? Or is it an Eliminator Boat a type of boat? Oh, that's a great question. Or is it like an Eliminator duel that takes place on a boat? Like, is an Eliminator like some kind of Highlander? Or like a Terminator? That sounds plausible. Because Eliminator, that is like, that's a synonym for a Terminator, right? Yeah, and if you were like, uh, if it was me and I was developing a game in like the 80s, maybe early 90s, uh, and I didn't have the Terminator license, I might think up an, an Eliminator. Right, or if you were like close to getting the Terminator license, and then you were like, "I don't want to work with Jim Cameron." Like, I get it. <laughs> oh, I get it too, because you know he would want to be involved. <laughs> um, I was very excited when I saw Shadow of the Ninja because I and I have mentioned this on Twitter, so forgive me uh, for repeating myself. I thought it was Wrath of the Black Manta, which is a ninja game where like you learn ninja. It's like a side-scrolling, like kind of beat 'em up sort of thing but you learn ninja powers as you go that are really cool and really fun. And this is not that game. Um, and I really wanted to play wrath of the black. Man, yeah. These are not it. These are real like, huh? They're head scratchers, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say that I feel the people who are, res- who like responded to this Twitter announcement with just like, where's donkey Kong. We want donkey Kong country. Right. Give us donkey Kong. Like I feel that. Maybe don't, like, take it out on the Nintendo Twitter. But I am in that boat where I'm, like, where yeah. is, like checking my watch. Like, where is Donkey Kong? Um, we will talk about this uh, sort of thing in just a little bit. But So we'll maybe drill into it more. But, like, what do you do when you have those? Because, like, the last thing you want to do is be, like, another one of those jerks on Twitter being, like, you're not giving me what I want. But, like, you do kind of want to, like you know, have a voice in a conversation of being like, here's, here, here are my expectations. Here's right. what's not being met. Mm-hmm. And how do you not uh, turn yourself into a national Dexer? You know, like how, how do I think you're just, I mean, I think you're just not a jerk about it. Probably. I mean, I think you're just not mean or right. like yelling at it. Right. But I mean, this is probably right. <laughs> it's probably correct. Uh, on Thursday, February 20th, Double Dragon and the Kunio Kun Retro Brawler Bundle that we talked about in last week's news episode. Which, remember, includes 11 games that have never been released in the United really States. really fun titles. Yep. Uh, that is being released, as well as Sega Ages Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Very cool. And Sega Ages Puyo Puyo 2. Very, very cool. And that's pretty much it on the list of things that I wanted to talk about, but... Yes. Speaking of Sonic, there is a huge Sonic the Hedgehog sale on various Nintendo eShops right now Because guess February what? 28th. Guess what? There was a Sonic the Hedgehog movie, and uh, people didn't hate it. Have you seen the, the Sonic movie yet? No, I haven't seen the Sonic movie yet. Not, neither have I. I assumed if we were going to see it, we would see it together. Pro- yes, probably. I don't I don't think I want to. But I, well, I don't really want to either. either. And it feels Nintendo adjacent enough that we can get away without seeing it. Well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see if maybe there'll be a horrible negative backlash to this, and we need to see uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. But uh, there is a Sonic sale on um, all three main Nintendo platforms right now. Um, 
And so we just wanted to highlight a couple. Um, the original uh, Sega Ages uh, Sonic the Hedgehog is available for four bucks. It's normally eight. Um, Sonic Forces, which you can either borrow from us or normally spend twenty dollars on, is ten. Um, Sonic Mania is ten bucks. It's a great price for that game. Um, and then Sonic Team Racing is only twenty bucks. Is normally forty. Um, and then also on the 3DS, um, both of the uh, Sonic the Hedgehog like 3D uh, remakes. Um, are three dollars, and they normally go for seven. I forgot they did that in the same vein as like the Nintendo Virtual Console like 3D remake. Yes, interesting. Yes. Um, they're not as good as the um as like the Kid Icarus one, for example, but probably better than the Urban Ch- Urban Champion one. So, you know, what do I know? Maybe worse than Excite Bike? I don't know. I don't know, Mark. Also, like I had mentioned when I talked about Rayman Legends, um. Th- Ubisoft and Capcom also have a sale going on. I don't know if it goes through the 28th, but there's lots of good deals out there on the eShop, right? Yeah. So, uh, and, you know, on uh, check, check all platforms, not just Switch, uh, 3DS and Wii U are also getting. And uh, remember, for our correction last week, you can buy stuff with your credit card on these platforms, as long as you're not in Europe. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, so those are the new releases. Let's get into uh, our next segment. Now it's time for a regular segment on the show. It's time for 433. In 1952, American composer John Cage wrote a piece called 433, wherein a performer or a group of performers didn't play their instruments for four minutes and 33 seconds. For the purposes of this show, our instruments are talking about Nintendo. So for the duration of one performance of 433, Mark and I will talk about something not at all Nintendo-related, thus fulfilling the contract of the piece. Um, Mark, today you wanted to talk about uh, Valentine's Day heart candies? Yeah, so you know those, like, sweetheart candies yeah these even though they're pastel they have messages printed on them right they taste like chalk they taste like like sweet chalk yes right uh sweet sweet chalk so first i was like oh it'd be fun for us to rank the messages on there it's like most desirable least desirable and then so i started looking for the messages that were in the candies this year it turns out that the uh like the recent history of these sweetheart like hard candies is kind of interesting, so I'll just tell you what happened with them. Uh, and I will interject with questions. Okay, when, great. When and I, I will uh, um, do my best to answer any questions. So basically, yes. they were made, which makes a ton of sense. Do you remember Necco Wafers? Yes. Okay, so it was made by that same company who did Necco Wafers. And they were, um, I think it was actually called Necco. It doesn't exist anymore. But they, oh. So they were, yeah. So they were like basically the same candy. Um, and then in 2010... They were like, hey, we're reformulating like uh, our candies. We're going to make them a little bit softer. They're going to have natural flavors. And these natural, and so the colors changed as well. And the natural flavors were um, like, I guess they ended up being a little bit more sour because they weren't as artificial. Oh. So they were doing things like green apple yeah. and flavors like that. People apparently, this was in 2010, people apparently hated it. So in 2011, Okay, but hold on. Just to throw the brakes on for a second. Was anyone ever eating a candy heart for the flavor <laughs> of it? Apparently. No. Apparently. No. Apparently. And I, I guess this was also, the, like, it was a change across their line. So it was, like, Necco wafer oh, okay. candies, right. which are disgust. Like, we're super gross. Right. Uh, not to speak ill of the dead, but we're super gross. We can speak ill of dead companies. <laughs> I think that's okay. So, okay. Um, so they reformulate the candies in 2010. People hate it. So the next year, they're like, oops, our sales dropped significantly. So we're going to work our way back right. to um, 
like using the original formula. Sweetheart's classic. Yes. Yeah. But then in 2018, they go out of business. Oh. Entirely. So this is a very recent development is what you're saying. Yeah. So what have we done the last two years? So here's the thing. In like 2019. Just selling through the old stock? <laughs> no. Is no, that no. what's happening? No, so in 2019, yeah, yeah. a different company called Spangler bought the rights to the Sweetheart's okay. candies. And they like. This is like the THQ Nordic of candy. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Good. So in uh, and that was at the end of 2018, and they didn't have enough time to sp- like, uh, what they wanted to do was move the equipment from Neko's factory because Neko went out of business. So they were gonna like move its equipment, but they had like a whole bunch of obviously like logistics issues with that. So they didn't have enough time to spin it up between the fall of 2018 and 2019 for them to make Sweetheart's candies. Sure. So 2019, apparently there were no Sweetheart's candies. Hold at all. on. Really? Yeah. So. And- so if, uh-huh. if you were so th- there were probably knockoffs or whatever, yeah, but they probably. were not like the official mm-hmm. Sweethearts candies. And then this year they finally got it up and running for 2020. But the printer that they used to put like the um, uh, messages on there, yeah, it uh, the one that they tried to use didn't work anymore. So they got a replacement, and there were technical problems with the replacement. So th- so they did have the candies with the original formula because they abandoned the natural flavor thing. Sure. No With one your, liked it, so why but bother? But there were no no, no messages, no on messages printed on it this year. So isn't it also a like a, a trade secret how Eminem gets the M printed on the mm, Eminem itself? I don't know. It might be. Like I wonder if there is a uh, like an engineering hurdle that needs to be overcome to effectively print on millions and millions of tiny candies in like a cost-effective way. Because yeah. you're selling, you're selling each one for less than a penny each. Well, the, the time article I was reading about it's probably this. not right. It's probably, <laughs> probably what do you think it, it costs what, like to to buy a, a, an individual candy heart? Three cents? No, I would guess that like it is. Pro- they're probably yeah, maybe like one cent. I to mean, manufacture. not not no, not to manufacture. Like if when you buy one, when you buy a bag, uh huh, right? Like wh- how much are you spending on that bag, and how many candies are in there? What is your price per candy as you're buying them? Yeah, maybe three cents. Maybe three cents. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, is that yeah? That's probably right. You yeah. Get like a box for a buck fifty or something. I don't know how much do one of these. I don't know. Anyways, the long story. When I was reading this article in uh-huh. Time, they made it sound like it was one printer. That was printing on all of the hearts. And then that one printer broke and their backup did not work. So there was no printing on hearts. Wow. And then they don't have the institutional knowledge or relationship with the printer because this is a new company. Right. And who knows how old the printer was oh, before. I guess we will uh, never know. We were accompanied today by uh, cellist uh, Timotias Petrin and uh, pianist George Giano Fu. All right, great. Um, all right, let's uh, let's get into the news, Mark. We got some more Persona Five news coming up. Even though Persona Five, as far as we know, not coming to Switch anytime soon. That's right. Uh, at the Persona Five Royal Press event, IGN's Tom Marks asked Atlas Communications Manager Ari Advincula about the possibility of Persona Five or Persona Five Royal coming to Switch. Advincula's answer was supportive, but non-committal. She said, quote, I am a strong believer in never give up on hope. Oh, boy. <laughs> I that, hate. That is a breadcrumb, if ever there was one, I, right? I mean, like, look, she admits, like, she did backpedal a little bit, saying that she's not exactly, like, a decision maker in this regard, uh, but that she has been an internal advocate for supporting the game to Switch for a long time. 
And the one actual thing she said was, keep telling us what you want. So there you go. I don't know. This is one of those... I I hate this kind of stuff where companies like, what do you want us to do? Like, obviously, you know that... You know what the deal is. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, there's something holding us up. Thank you. We appreciate that you want to play our game on more platforms, but it's just not what's happening right now. Right. Um, but keep telling... like. It, it, it's a real thank you for your interest uh, sort of response, right? Yeah. And, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe it is the sort of thing where, like, the people who do make that decision probably at Atlas in Japan are, like, not interested in it for whatever reason. But if somebody from, you know, like, Atlas of uh, America or whatever it's called, I actually don't know what the divisions of Atlas are called, right? But if they, like, yeah. can point to so much support for it, then maybe that'll, like, change somebody's mind. I, I, I don't know. I don't really know. Like we were talking about earlier, I don't really know how to make any of this actionable. Yeah, totally. I mean, that she says, uh, you know, keep telling us what you want, that you want what you want and keep telling us what, what, what you want. But yeah, it's also like, how, how do you effectively do that in a way that sounds like someone voicing what they want and not like a, a petulant kid on Twitter? Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard to say. I mean, I guess uh, we can keep bringing it up on our shows and <laughs> saying like, oh, yeah, I guess that would be nice. I probably would play some Persona games if they came to Switch. Um, but, yeah, I mean, at this point, that, that, that seems like about all there is. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, last week or two weeks ago, we talked about a fan survey that Atlas had sent out in Japan. And they were asking people, what games do you want? Mm -hmm. uh, Persona 5 and the other Persona games were on there. But another game that was listed was uh, Catherine Full Body. Yes. And the South Korean Video Game Ratings Board has listed Catherine Full Body for release on Nintendo Switch. So Which, maybe it is coming sooner yeah. rather than later. Um, and that's interesting, too, because... Uh, I mean, I don't know if any of this matters anymore. But like in my mind, Nintendo is always so much more of like a, a family-oriented brand. And of all the Atlas games, Catherine Full Body is the one that is most explicitly about like sex and relationships and like anxiety about sex and relationships. Um, and it, if like, if that is coming to Switch, then it feels like the floodgates for everything. Like it, it that this is almost a, a stronger indicator to me that we will see Persona games at some point um, than uh, anything else that we've uh seen or read yeah i mean the switch definitely is in modern nintendo hardware the system that is like getting all of these types of games yeah right? totally seen, like the new wolf like all the bethesda stuff like wolfenstein doom doom eternal um for on like the eShop, we've seen a lot of you know like dating sims and that sort of thing and obviously that's a different animal yes. than uh catherine but I don't. But, but yeah, it's, I it's, feel like it's, those it's barriers a, are definitely piece, like though, because like a lot of those, uh, a lot of like the dating sims are like the sort of uh, like Japanese uh, uh, visual novels that have a little bit more of like a, a relationship bent to them. All of that is tonally similar to what's happening in uh, in Catherine. So uh, you know maybe that's uh, that's just kind of feeding into that audience more than uh, more than into a an overall. Um, Atlas or Persona audience. We talked. We also talked last week about how Atlas, you know, on the 3DS had a lot of support there with mm -hmm. original titles, but also with um, remasters of old titles. And so it makes sense to me to see titles like Catherine uh, Full Body on Switch because, you know, it was a remaster that was on other platforms previously. Yep. And so if they're going to have more Switch support, it seems like a quote-unquote easier 
way to do that. Right. I mean, and also, uh, the original Catherine was a, a PlayStation 3 game, so, like, you know, it's not exactly pushing the the bounds of, of the hardware. And also, uh, Catherine Full Body, for me, is a game that I very much wanted to play, but I didn't really want to, you know, get it on uh, home console. Um, if it comes to Switch, like, that's that's a day one purchase for me, I think. Has Persona 4 Golden, did it, sh- is it still a Vita exclusive, do you know? Vita exclusive, Okay, so yep. I think that's probably like a hurdle for getting it onto switch right is because it doesn't exist in this hd like PC. oh format. that's a great They'd point have to basically yeah. redevelop it yeah great so, point great point um also at the same time that the south korean video game ratings board listed catherine full body they also had a listing for the xcom 2 collection so maybe another third-party title that will be showing up fairly soon. How many games are in an XCOM 2 collection? So it's actually just like XCOM 2 and then all the DLC. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. Um, I will confess that while I've been describing games as XCOM-like, like Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle or like uh, uh, Codename Steam on the 3DS, um, I've never actually played an XCOM Neither. game. Okay, yeah. great. <laughs> yep. Good. Uh, hey, remember how we're still waiting for the free DLC for Katana Zero? Uh, Mark, yes, I do. Well, it turns out that the DLC has proven to be much bigger than the developer originally planned. According to the official ASCIISoft Twitter account, the new content is three times the size they had originally specced. And uh, while there's still no release date, it will still be free. Um, it's good to know that the the thing that they said will be free is still going to be free. Uh, I, this, I love this from, uh, and seems to be a trend in uh, indie game developers that they're like, yeah, we'll do some like substantial DLC, and then they're like, oh, this is enormous. Like, yeah, that that's what uh, uh, Hollow Knight Silk Song is. That's what like the three different uh, Shovel Knight campaigns are. That's what uh, this is. It's, it's just crazy. Mm-hmm. And I love Katana Zero, so I'm excited for this. Um, whenever it comes out, it's been so long since I played it. Like I think it was released in April or something, 2019. That sounds right. And uh, so probably whenever the DLC was released, I'll just play through the whole thing again. Yeah. Well, why not? That sounds and, great. And maybe I'll wait till the DLC comes out to just play the whole I thing. I think you would really like it. It's a lot of fun. I mean, I did just, just, just play um, Celeste. Oh, that's something else I've been playing. I'm going to just take us back real quick. I I, uh, I went back into uh, the first level of Celeste and got all the strawberries and uh, got the B-side and then beat the B-side. Nice. Um, so I think I'm going to, like, maybe once a week go into one of those levels and... Uh, do my best to clear it out. The first one was doable. I don't know if the, any of the rest of them are going to Yeah, be I will be so interested. I didn't even attempt the later level, so I'd be I'll be super interested to hear what like the, you know, when you get to like chapter 6 oh, or whatever, God, what so that's hard. like. It gets so hard. So there's been a lot of talk about what E3 is going to be like this year, and we still don't really know. Mm, right. But the picture is becoming a little bit clearer. Um, was it last week that the ESA, which is the organization behind E3, like kind of put out a press release or a letter to content creators and press kind of being like, oops, are bad about last year, but we're, you know, making changes. We're not going to keep your information like actually on the site. I mean, all I think, that kind of stuff. I think very specifically, there wasn't an hour bad uh-huh. in, in that message. I think it was like a, we know your privacy is mm-hmm. of the utmost mm-hmm. important to you, and we are taking that seriously. 
um, there was no because uh, last year a lot of um, attendees information was uh, available on the website. It wasn't even really a, a leak so much as just like the information was there, um, and anyone who wanted to uh, have you know email addresses and phone numbers of people who attended. Yeah, the, like home addresses for yeah. people. Um, so. Uh, you know that 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 was all out there and not a really good look for the the ESA. Yeah, and so I think it remains to be seen how that'll affect press coverage going yeah. forward. Yeah. Um, but we also know that there are other changes coming that we don't really understand the scope of. So uh, last week the ESA put out an, a statement assuring fans that are trying to assure fans that despite my, Sony not being there and Microsoft not being there the show was still happening and that there would still be a bunch of big video game developers and publishers showing off their stuff at the show. Right. And we had previously, uh, like Nintendo, Doug Bowser had said that like, yeah, E3 is an important place for us to interact with our fans and right. like, put, uh, put games in, in people's hands. And, you know, with the, uh, was it last year or two years ago that they opened up tickets to fans again? Yeah. That and was two, two years ago. It yeah. does seem like they're, trying to make it because right like last year when we went it was this weird combination of like a fan convention and a business event and neither one really made a ton of sense yeah yeah and it's unclear what um what the industry or like what the people who are normally participating in these things actually want it to be right um because uh sony's statement this this year about why they weren't attending almost made it sound like they didn't want to participate in e3 because it wasn't as fan focused as they wanted Mm. it to be Mm -hmm. um which is uh sort of i i I feel like the consensus outlook is that it is becoming too fan focused that like it's not a pax it's uh it is an industry event but i think they it feels to me like they are that the esa is trying to make it more like a like pax or something but i think it's still not there right and partially that's because pax already exists and like the the companies that are going to activate for that sort of thing are already doing it. Right. And like the function of a PAX is way different than a function of like what E3 was. And the ESA seems like a terrible like organization to be trying to put on a fan convention. Totally. They're like a lobbyist organization, essentially. Yes. Yes. Um, But so they put out a statement saying, quote, several leading video game companies have already committed to participate in E3 2020 including Xbox, although they are, like, not actually part of the show. They have their own space, like, right next to um, at LA Live. Next to the right, at the Microsoft Center. Theater. Uh, Nintendo, Ubisoft, Bethesda Softworks, Sega, Capcom, Square Enix, Take-Two in- Interactive, uh, Bandai Namco, and Warner Brothers Games, amongst others. So basically trying to reassure people that it's still a big deal. Um, and, like, those are big names, right? And, you know, like, last year... Um, Square Enix had uh, a huge booth with um, both uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake stuff and um, Avengers, like, you know, that they had, like, made the exterior of, like, the, uh, you know, one of the helicarriers. Um, and, like, Bandai Namco had a huge presence. Um, and uh, Capcom was mostly uh, Monster Hunter. Uh, but, like, you know, the, they do the sort of big presentation, the big ostentatious uh, booths with, um, you know, giant figurines to get your picture taken in front of. So, like, you know, I think that that spectacle is still there. Mm, for sure, yeah. Uh, 
so the ESA is trying to reassure people that it's still a big deal. This right. still matters. Right. And then hold also, on though. <laughs> right. Also last week, uh, Jeff Knight Keeley. Yep. Jeff Keeley, the man behind the Game Awards, who has been part of the games industry for decades at this point, announced that he would not be producing the E3 Coliseum show this year, which he had partnered previously with the ESA to produce. And it's right. where kind of very similar to Nintendo Treehouse. Um, at E3 in the past where they would have developers on and first looks and gameplay and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Christian, uh, who has been on the show before, um, uh, helped, like, worked on it last year um, with Keeley. Um, so, like, you know, it's obviously a part of, uh, you know, both how we uh, view uh, what's happening at E3 and also, like, is uh, an in for people to uh, be, like, actively participating in, in producing stuff. Uh, and, you know, this isn't to say that there will be no E3 Coliseum. It just means that whatever expertise Keeley was bringing to it is no longer being brought to it. Right. It's, I mean, from earlier press releases, it sounds like they want to bring in, like, influencers and streamers and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. I just feel so, like kind of lost as to what e3 is going to be this year i'll tell you what e3 will be this year if nothing else is a nintendo direct and at this point <laughs> in the year all i want is that a sounds nintendo great direct, so that's I great want it. that I want sounds to bring it on. amazing yeah for sure uh bloomberg reports that nintendo is likely to suffer switch supply shortages as soon as april in the u.s and europe due to production slowdown caused by the coronavirus outbreak in china specifically they so Specifically, they say that assembly for a lot of the consoles that are sold in the U.S. or shipped to the U.S. are actually, they're assembled in Vietnam. But Mm -hmm. the components come from China, where obviously there's like a manufacturing slowdown right now. Um, In Japan, the country is already beginning to be affected by the slowdown. I think that consoles for the Japanese market are manufactured directly in China. And so, yeah, it'll just be interesting to see the longer that the manufacturing slowdown uh, is happening. Basically, like, all manufacturing is on pause for the most part. I think this is very interesting, and it's sort of coinciding with... It it is, obviously, coronavirus just on its own is an unfortunate thing to be happening. Um, But the fact that it is coinciding with the, like, release of a new console generation generation at the end of this year um and you know like playstation has said that like they don't have a set price for the playstation 5 yet sort of waiting to see like what they can get away with versus uh microsoft's uh price point uh for the new xbox um like part of the problem that they're having is that the uh, availability for parts that they need are becoming more scarce um and so it is like actually becoming cost prohibitive or uh, like availability prohibitive to uh, make the quality or like the power of machines that they want. And I think that coupled with this sort of slowdown, um, like I think availability for, you know, I don't, there's not a fine, there is a finite number of uh, resources, both human and natural in this world. Um, and I think we might be starting to butt up against like the upper bound for that uh, in a way that we've not seen before in like the games and technology industry. Um, and that's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing to consider. And I wonder, you know, what we're going to see as like limiting factors on games and computers and all that sort of stuff in the, the next couple of years. Well, and like, not even to consider that, but the, 
the because I think that's all a, like I think that's an excellent point. Uh-huh. But just like the global economy in general, sure. When you're like so, a lot of people in China, they are at home, right? They cannot work, right? And it's not like they are being paid for Do the time work, that they are right. not working. And so all of that, you know, like buying power is gone. I don't know. It's just very, I don't, yeah, I think. No, that's a great point. I, especially when that is such a like emerging market for games right now. And where, uh, you know, if um, Tencent is injecting all of this extra money into the, uh, into gaming spheres, uh, but they're going to have less opportunity to sell stuff at home. Well, and it's also not like as soon as, let, uh, you know, hopefully very soon we will see the coronavirus, you know, begin to step down right. from the peaks that we're seeing right now. But even after that happens and manufacturing starts up, it's not like people are immediately going to be able to spend, you know, like there's so much catching up that has to be done because you are making money again, but what are you spending that on? It's yeah. not necessarily, you know, like game consoles. Plus it took the Springler company or whatever it was over a year to uh, find a place to remake these candy hearts and right. then they still couldn't print on yeah, them. Exactly. So, I mean, it's, it, these are significantly more complicated machines than these sweet uh, candy hearts. Yeah, I, I just think it's like interesting because you're right, like for a lot of us in the US, for the vast majority of us around the world, the coronavirus seems like a distant thing yes. that like you c- kind of like think about, but you um, I, I don't know that I've ever really considered like the implications, the long-term implications yeah. of it. Yeah, and I mean, I th- I just think that that coupled with the sort of anticipated when we were going into the last console generation, right, going into the uh, Xbox One and the and the PS4, um, I like the chatter around it was that like this is likely to be the last generation of of home consoles um and then everything's going to go to like you know um PCs or like everything's going to become one the market's not going to sustain all of these companies having their own separate boxes um and then the market not only supported it but like you know the Xbox 1 even being like a uh, a relative failure uh sold a ton and the uh you know playstation 4 is like the second best-selling uh home console ever right behind the the playstation 2 so like i think i think it is possible that we are on a little bit of like a bubble that i don't think that people are going to adopt new hardware uh at quite the same rate that they're expecting it to and are maybe uh, you know, like I said, pushing up against the ceiling of what's possible, both in terms of human uh, labor and in terms of like the actual resources, uh, and will just run themselves out trying to meet a demand that might not even be there. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how it all like unfolds. Um, in other news, yes, <laughs> the Super Nintendo controllers, yeah, for, <laughs> for the SNES Switch Online are available again. Possibly. Possibly. I don't know. By the time this comes out, momentarily, they are available. They uh, will not be available again. Mm -hmm. So, same story here, probably. Yeah, exactly. But it had been a while. They showed up weirdly in January for like a brief moment and then were gone again. Nintendo said to check back in February. Here we are. In February. They are available again. I wondered if I should buy one and I just like went ahead and did it. Oh, good for you. I Mark. decided to just pick up the one. Yes. Um I don't need like a bunch of them. They actually changed the way. So this was this is just for the like US store. They'd been available previously in Europe and I Japan I think without much problem. 
Yeah. Um, but in the U.S. store, before there was like a four li- uh, controller limit yes. on each restock. Now it is a like four controller limit Lifetime. in totality. Good. Um, but yeah, it's nice to see it available again. Weird that like the NES controllers were, they were apparently just lousy with them. I don't know if they manufactured way more than they anticipated or that like the parts for the SNES controller were just harder to source. I don't it's know. Just it's just kind of been weird. It's all. It's also weird. I I would be interested in getting one of them. Uh, except I've already got the two, um, SNES classic, um, controllers that came with it, plus like two regular, Super Nintendo controller. Like, how many Super Nintendo controllers <laughs> do I need in my house? I don't right. have that much space. Mark. I know. And do do you use the like? No. I've never used the NES controllers that came with the Switch. Not came with, but were made for Switch. The ones that were made for yeah, wait. like the NES Switch Online NES controllers. Oh, the NES. Yeah, ones. yeah. Uh, I have, but not in a long time. I'd have to dig them out to use them. Which, right. Yeah. But if you wanted them like me, and you yep. weren't able to get them before, yep. they are now available. Maybe who knows by the time you're listening to this show whether they've sold out or not. Hopefully not. Also, last week, uh, Pokemon Home was just stealth released uh without much fanfare it's available now on the switch eShop and on mobile devices uh do you intend to pick it up i don't think so i don't really have pokemon to transfer anywhere yeah i mean don't you want to bring your uh your pikachu or your eevee or whatever over from um let's go oh yeah i guess i could yeah and maybe just for the sake of this show i should download it and there you go see, see what what's like, going on see what it's like to bring your bulbasaur over or whatever what did, <laughs> right. what did you start in that uh evie eve oh wait do you also not get a starter no those that is you just your... get the the partner pokemon yeah oh and then later like throughout the mission you um have like the opportunity to earn the other starters well i don't like that at all <laughs> I mean, isn't that isn't that how Pokemon Yellow worked? Is you just got Pikachu I, as your I starter? I think you also get a starter. I think you're I wrong. might be wrong. I might be wrong. <laughs> um, a pop-up Nintendo Switch on the go experience. That's the uh, official like capitalized title of it. Nintendo Switch colon on the go has been announced for a few U.S. airports. Hey, it's basically just like a demo station mm-hmm. set up in airports, uh, and it'll include titles like Breath of the Wild, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, Super Mario Odyssey, Super Mario Party. Tetris 99, and more. That's right. Tetris 99, one of the heavy hitters. <laughs> they know it for business travelers. Oh, it's so good. Well, just, just, hold on a second. Hold on a second. It's weird to me that Super Mario Party is part of this because you have to play it with Joy-Cons uh-huh. and you basically can't play it by yourself. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. This is a weird... This is like putting 1-2 Switch in but, this lineup. But, but maybe they'd want to show, right, like... Because all of these you could show off on the handheld, but yes. Super Mario Party is a great way to show off the Switch functionality where it's like, and you put it on the TV and you remove the Joy-Con. Mm, that's a good point. And that's you play point. it that way with like your family or friends. So I think it shows off a different aspect of the Switch. It just feels harder to control to me. Like the rest of them, you can do the thing where like the, uh, the pro controller is in like a little plastic thing and you can, you know, you can't like walk away with it. Right. But like Super Mario Party needs to be like a free handheld single Joy-Con. Um, they're going to lose some Joy-Cons. <laughs> People are going to walk off with them. Well, maybe there's an employee like standing there. like One. Three one employee. I mean, at uh, like Best Buy, they have no employees. Right. But I, I think those... Uh, they are. They're like I guess bolted I don't, I don't down. No, yes, they are. Right. For sure. You can't. They're not just like loose... Joy-Con. But what I'm saying, right. one is probably enough. It's yeah, like that's, all, that's all the true. employee you need to be watching that thing closely. Um, it runs through March, so if you're traveling through Dulles International, Tacoma International, O'Hare International, 
or Dallas Love Field. I'm assuming that's also an international airport, but I don't know that for sure. No, there's no then there's no way to know. <laughs> um, you can check out the Nintendo Switch on the go experience. Uh, I don't think we mentioned previously that the Netflix animated Castlevania series is back for its third season on March 5th. Uh, which is coming up. March 5th is yeah. very soon. Um, and you can uh, bet your bottom dollar that we have already booked Colin J. Morris to uh, help us watch it. Have we? Does he know that this is happening? He know. So I told him uh, that it is uh, here. So here's a little bit of a rub. It is 10 episodes, which makes it the longest season. It's more than we've had in the first and second season combined. Is that true? I thought yeah. the first one was four and the second one was eight. I don't... I'm Maybe basi- it's four and six. Yeah. The The point is I, I told Colin that like we won't do them all at, at one time. No. We'll, we'll do like half and half. And he said, you realize I've never watched a full season of the show for, <laughs> for NCS, right? And I didn't respond to that. <laughs> but so we'll have Colin back on at some point and we'll talk about this. Yes. I, I think breaking it up into two episodes is probably... At least. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably We'll right. figure out some way to do it. And then finally, last week at the 2020 Dice Summit in Las Vegas, Disney Senior VP Games and Experiences, Sean Shapta, told the audience of developers that the company is looking to partner with game studios, quote, to empower them to do really unique things with our catalog. Um, now, this is a thirsty move from uh, Disney Games, right? Yeah, I mean, like previously, you know, Disney, uh, the past 15 years, has a history of kind of like, getting into the games business really hard where they're like acquiring studios yeah. and trying to make a whole bunch of different games, not just li- not just licensed games or not just games using their characters, but also just like racers from Avalanche and like all that type of stuff. And then having it not work out at all, going the other direction, getting out of games development then kind of getting back into it with uh, Disney Infinity and all this kind of stuff. Right. And Disney Infinity, of, of course, is multiple things. It is, it's a, it's, I think they had three game studios uh, that were all working on Disney Infinity. And of course, it was a toys to life thing, too. So they're also making and designing all of these toys and manufacturing them and selling them. So, like, yeah, they, they definitely, they, and it seems like it happens fast. Yeah. Right? They were, uh, yeah, like probably like every five years, they were within this cycle of being like, okay, we're just going to license our characters. Yeah. No, we're going to like really get into the business of making games. Then we're going to license our characters. We're going to get back into the business of making games. Now they're on like a licensing characters cycle. The thing that's interesting is that uh, in the most recent in- investors call, Bob Iger basically called out like, our, historically, we are really bad at making games, like being in the games publishing business. And he is not interested in getting back into it. And so that leads into um, this talk at Dice Summit where basically he's saying, hey, we have this enormous library of characters made even more enormous now that we own like all the Fox characters. Yeah, totally. And so what we want to do... that King of the Hill game. <laughs> exactly. So what we want to do is we want to partner with game developers, game studios who have like an interesting or creative take on these characters, on these, um, you know, like worlds. The, the, he specifically called out insomniac games with uh spider-man yep. or playstation and then the more recent star wars jedi fallen order from respawn and ea as like examples of games that they want like to see more of in the future and um, and also just uh for like the nintendo audience specifically uh marvel ultimate alliance 3 um was uh, uh you know another game sort of made under this same sort of arrangement oh yeah totally it's a it's a ninja theory game yes Is that right? yeah. yeah um for nintendo Yes. So 
the reason we're bringing this up directly is that on Thursday, we're going to be doing just what they want and talking about creative games we'd like to see from a dream pairing of Nintendo characters with Nintendo first party. Disney Disney characters with Nintendo first party developers. So that should be a fun time. I've got some uh, good ideas. Uh, that have alternates to them though where i'm like this can also be this kind of game so uh and i'm very excited to hear what what you've come up with um i think that'll be a good episode yeah i think so too so come back on thursday to check that out uh but in the meantime let's get out of the news Okay, that's going to do it for this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society remember please rate and review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts we're just one review away from hitting a hundred and only a on hundred and only a hundred and one away from getting to two hundred. <laughs> exactly. And you can help us also. You can get a signed copy of Patrick's Transformer comic. Yes. Uh, and you should do that. And then follow us on Twitter. Um, I'm at Patrick underscore Ellers. Mark is at MK Mitchell. And the show is at Nincart Society. There's also a Facebook page, which is just Nintendo Cartridge Society. Olivia Duncan made our logo. Our theme music is provided by Ape Betty. You can get more of his music by going to apebetty.com or by listening right now. From my co-host, Mark Mitchell, this is Patrick Eller saying thank you for listening. Have you ever encountered an unexplained hairy bipedal hominid in the woods? Have you received telepathic messages from an unidentified aerial phenomenon? If so, then you need to listen to Bigfoot Collectors Club. I'm Michael McMillan. And I'm Bryce Johnson. And together with super producer... Riley Bray. We make up the Bigfoot Collectors Club. That's right. Every week we talk to actors, comedians, writers, and paranormal experts about their personal paranormal histories and share stories of high strangeness. Like the time when we talked to Craig Ferguson about the Loch Ness Monster and when a sea witch told him he had raven magic. Or the time I asked Pitch Perfect's Anna Camp her opinion on cattle mutilations. Past guests have included Rachel Bloom, Jen Kirkman, Paul F. Tompkins, Bobcat Goldthwait, and more. So if you've ever been abducted alongside five reindeer by an alien with grills for hands, or witnessed Bigfoot crawl out of an interdimensional portal, don't laugh, happens all the time, then check out Bigfoot Collectors Club on Campfire Media or wherever you get your podcasts. Bigfoot Bigfoot Collectors Collectors Club, you're here to believe believe us. Wait, is that how it goes? Campfire.